in this series called Bystander. And this is this idea of John who followed the rabbi from Nazareth. And this has been a great series. We kicked it off last week. If you missed last week, you should go back and watch. It was really a lot of fun to walk through. But to get us going today, I just want to ask this question. Have you ever been around believe in spite of type people? Have you ever been around these kind of people? They believe in spite of. I mean, they believe in Jesus. They believe in God. And there's such confidence in their life. But it's in spite of something. It's in spite of the fact they're going through an incredible health crisis in their life. It's in spite of the fact that, man, their financial world is turned upside down. They still have trust and confidence in the God that they follow. These kind of people in our lives are amazing, aren't they? And they have confidence in God, even though you know, their husband has gone off the deep end or their kids are going in a way that just breaks their heart. And they have prayed prayers, and they have prayed prayers, my friends, to ask God to fix it. And God hasn't fixed it yet, and so they still, they still believe. They still have faith. They still trust because they trust God is doing something bigger than they can see. These kind of people in our lives are so inspiring. And if you're a Christian, you look at people like that, and you just think, man, I, I wish my faith was like that. I wish I was able to live in the way they live, and they can have peace, and they can have joy in the midst of the most trying circumstances. And maybe you're here, and you're not a Christian. You don't believe in God, which we're just thrilled you decided to be with us. And you look at those kind of people, and you're like, listen, I'm not even sure I care if what they believe is true. I just wish I could live the way they live. Because I'm terrified about what's going to happen tomorrow, but I watch these people's lives that have this kind of faith, and they're not even afraid of dying. They're not even afraid of what happens after they give up their life here. They have such trust in God, and I wish I could be a part of that. Those kind of people in our lives are absolutely amazing, inspiring people. Well, one of the people that encounter to believe in any way kind of person is Dr. Francis Collins. Now, you may not know who that is. You may because a lot of you are well-read. He was the director, or is the director, of the, the Human Genome Project. And this is a deep science dive, but I won't go very deep because I'm not very good at science. But apparently a genome is your whole you know, DNA makeup um, in each cell of your body. And there's like three billion different word letter codes in each one of our cells. And Dr. Francis Collins had the job of mapping the human genome for the human body. And he was in charge of this because they need to figure out how disease get passed on to your kids. How do you inherit things that are really dangerous for your body? And so this is a brilliant man. This is a man that knows more than just about any of us. He understands the things the way things work. And if anybody had a reason not to believe in a creator, it might be him because he must have had all the science figured out except for the fact when he saw how complicated the human body was, he came to the conclusion there must be more to it than this chance in our lives. Well, Dr. Collins, when he was 27 years old, worked at a hospital and he kept bumping into people because he's in North Carolina. It was kind of in the middle of the Bible Belt. And he kept bumping into people that had an incredible confidence in God. And these same people, these same people also had prayed to be healed. And God wasn't healing them in the moment, yet they still had confidence in God. And it caught his attention. And it was one person after another after another. He ends up becoming a Christian a little later on. He writes this incredible book that, that you should read it. It, it. It's called, we'll put it up here, it's called The Language of God. But in it, when he talks about these people that he kept bumping into, he said if it was a psychological crutch, this faith thing, his faith was a psychological crutch, it must be a very powerful one if it was nothing more than the veneer of cultural tradition. You know what he's saying by that is, hey, they believe this faith thing because they're mountain people. 
because they're hillbillies. We're in North Carolina. They can't read, so they just, of course, they turn to faith. But he saw something past, just cultural tradition. He goes on. Why, he asks the question, why were these people that he was taking care of in the hospital not shaking their fists at God and demanding their friends and their family stop all this talk about a loving and benevolent supernatural power? Why are these people still continuing trust when God seemingly isn't answering their prayers? Because their prayers for themselves or their children or their spouses was, God, just make them better, just make them better. And it wasn't happening on demand and sometimes didn't happen at all. But they still trusted God. Well, apparently, Dr. Collins kept running into this one lady who was dying of congenital heart disease. And she looked at him and said, Doctor, I have told you about my faith over and over and again, and you've heard what I believe. And she looked him right in the eye, and he talks about this. And he says, Doctor, she said, Doctor, what do you believe? Doctor, what do you believe? And he says that in that moment, he was dumbfounded. He stammered, he shuffled, he didn't know how to respond, and this is the best he said he could do. He, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure what I believe. Isn't that fascinating? He said, I was face to face with my own willful blindness that I had not investigated this idea of faith. And I knew better than anybody that this complicated, you know, three billion you know, codes per cell had to have some kind of creator to it, somehow, some way. And he said, there was more evidence than he thought there was, but he never knew there was evidence. And I love this, until he looked. And he kept bumping into these people that had this incredible faith. And then it drove him to go investigate the Gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he read them and he saw these accounts of a Savior that these people trusted with such confidence. And eventually he put his faith in Jesus. And now you have this amazing scientist that's smarter than all of us who's a follower of Jesus who's changing the world because of believe it in spite of any way people. Now, the amazing part of that is when, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter, and the Apostle Paul, and James, they sat down to document what Jesus did and what he said. They wanted people to have confidence and assurance and something to hang on to and they would tell you I think from reading what they say that Christianity is not about just believing or taking it by faith we talked about this last week but so many of us were raised in that way if you were in the church just believe just believe believe but I got questions don't ask any questions just have faith if you have faith you'll be fine and so somehow you know it was like lifting weights if I just have more faith then I'll have faith and guys like Dr. Collins you know, discovered you can ask questions and you can dig in and there's evidence to stand on. In fact, I think the early writers of the New Testament and the early followers would say, hey, we did not follow Jesus because of faith. We follow Jesus because of what they saw and what they heard. And when they saw and heard what Jesus did and what he said, then it created immense faith in their lives, but the evidence led to deep, strong faith that's unshakable. And as we go through this series and we march to Easter, because this is, this is going to take us right into Easter. In fact, we're going to wrap this whole series up at Easter. So I hope you're thinking about Easter and who you're going to invite and bring along. Maybe you bring them along before we get to that big Easter Sunday. But when we take this journey together, this is about what can we land our faith on that's rock solid through the eyes of John who watched Jesus personally. And John, he, you know, he writes this in one of his epistles. He says, that which was from the beginning. And when he says the beginning, he doesn't say like, you know, Genesis beginning. This is what was the beginning when Jesus showed up on the planet, the beginning of him hanging out with us. 
which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked and our hands have touched, we touched his body after he rose from the dead. He was gone, it was over, and then he rose, and we literally put our hands on his shoulders to make sure he was alive, and I was part of that. This, he says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life for Jesus. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, guys, listen, we followed him. We paid attention. Time after time, our mouths were hanging open at what he did and what he said, and we wanted to make sure you all get it. It's like John wrote this letter personally for you guys and me, so we would have greater faith. Well, by the time John's an old man and his eyesight's not very good, he, he's thinking, i got to write all this down, the historical document of Jesus. Now, this is what we think about John. Because he was Jewish, he probably didn't know Greek. He probably dictated this, and someone else wrote it in Greek. Not to mention he's an old man and his eyes aren't very good and his hands aren't very steady. But he sits down because people urge him, you got to tell the story of Jesus. You were with him. And he gives us this, the gospel of John, and just so you know, we call it the gospel because this word means good news. And anytime you're tempted to open up the New Testament and you think it's bad news, it's not. It is good news. It is hope. It is inspiring life. At the end of John's gospel, he tells us why he wrote this whole thing. He says, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. There were so many things he did, there was not enough paper to document it all. So we picked out the most important. There's so many things he said that we could have written down, but we never would have got through it all. So we picked out the most important, which was the most key thing. And then he gives us the purpose statement for the whole exercise of writing the historical document about Jesus. He says, but these are written that you might believe. Now, I need to tell you something. John has an agenda, and I have a little bit of a secret agenda as we walk through this series. It's that everybody in this place, everybody in our town, everybody in our community would end up believing in Jesus. See, John was not just going to be okay with thing, saying, let me give you some information. Let me give you some stuff to read. He wanted you and I and the world to believe because he believed with all of his heart. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah or the Savior of your life, the Son of God, and that by believing in you, you may have life in his name. And that's just not life when you die, it's life today. Because he knew that people knew that, that after they died, they had a future with God and heaven would live differently and love differently, and express their lives differently. So John sits down to write this gospel out. And he organizes the Gospel of John, his Gospel, around seven signs. We said this last week. Um, these are not just seven miracles, but they're seven signs that point to who Jesus is. Last week we talked about the first sign. I want to talk about the second sign today, the second thing that he did. Now, if you have a Bible and has headings on it or under it, this might read in your Bible, the healing of the nobleman's son. So Jesus, his first sign, we talked about this last week, was at a wedding. He, he was invited to a wedding. He shows up. His mom pleads with him to turn, you know, to produce some more wine. And he turned water into wine. But the miracle, the sign wasn't just, I made him water into wine. It was, I am this brand new thing and it's better with, than what you had in the first place. It was a perfect illustration for Jesus to kick off what he was doing. 
And then he went back up north, and then what Jesus would do with his followers, as John records it, he would dip back down in Jerusalem, which was the hub of Jewish culture. And he would stir up trouble every time because he would challenge the religious leaders. He would point to this better kingdom, and it got his followers nervous because then people would be mad at Jesus, which meant they were mad at him, and they would be in trouble all the time. And you may know this famous story. He walks into the temple, and there's money changers selling stuff in the temple, and they were, you know, overcharging people and selling them junk. And Jesus just wasn't having it. you got to read this story. And he starts to flip over tables because he is angry because that was not what the temple was meant for. And I just had this picture of Jesus, you know, turns water into wine. And the next thing we got him, he's flipping over tables because his people were being cheated and robbed of an experience with God. And they asked Jesus, I think the question he wanted them to ask, because they would say, Jesus, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? He would say things like, I'm the truth and the way and the life. Well, as he did these things, John says this. John says, many people, many, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. On from there, he has this famous conversation with a little fellow named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader that snuck into Jesus' room and asked him questions like, how do you have eternal life? And then Jesus said that really famous thing that may have turned you upside down or freaked you out if, if you're not like comfortable with church. Jesus said, yeah, I'd be born again. But he points to the fact there's a whole new life that God can give you. Pause for a minute. It means if you showed up in this place today and you look at your past and you look at your failures and your mistakes and you think, I, I've wasted. No, 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 no. Nicodemus would say, no. Jesus said you can be born again. There's a brand new life for you to have in Christ. After that, he, he walks through Samaria, and he sits down next to a Samaritan woman. Two quick things if you go back and read this this week, which I hope you do. Jewish people were not supposed to interact with Samaritan people at all because they were outcasts. They were the lesser group. And a rabbi was never supposed to talk with a woman one-on-one, -on -one, especially if she was Samaritan. And yet there is Jesus talking with this complete, full, completely sinful woman. And he says, woman, I have water to offer you that will last forever. It's my love, it's my spirit, it's my salvation. And she believed. And then she does this really interesting thing. She foreshadows how our faith would come to fruition because she goes back to her hometown and starts to tell people about Jesus, and apparently many of them believed also. They never met Jesus. They just believed based on what she said. It's amazing how these things unfolded. And just imagine, every time John was there and he witnessed it, he's either making notes mentally or physically, like, oh, I, got, I, got, oh, I can't believe Jesus did that, but that is brilliant. And then later, as an old man, he'd go back and think through or read through whatever he had in his mind, as hard as notes, and he would even piece it together and go, you know, when he did that thing to tell this woman she could have life forever and she didn't deserve it, I mean, that is a picture of our faith. And that's where we pick up the second sign that Jesus did. John tells us, once more, he, Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. There's that amazing miracle. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick. Now, this is the second miracle. The first miracle was this joyous, wonderful occasion where Jesus turned water into wine and everybody smiled. But now we have a tragedy going on. We have a son that's dying and a desperate father who doesn't know what else to do. Now, here's an important little note. The son lay sick in Capernaum. Put that on the slide if we can, in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was about eight hours by foot 
walk to where Jesus was. But we know that this is a royal family. This is a royal son and a royal father. So they probably had horses and chariots. So that means that eight hour by foot travel is about a three hour journey by chariot. And this father's got a problem. His son is dying. Now, we're told they're royal, so that probably means they're Sadducees. There's two, like, important people groups in Jesus' day. They're the Pharisees. We talk about them all the time. They're the ones that were all driven by the law. They were super religious. But the Sadducees, they were more like aristocrats. Now, they believed in God, but typically a Sadducee thought God was like a hands-off kind of God. That everything was determined by fate, like whether you got married or how many years you lived or how many you know, kids you have or how rich or you poor. It was just determined, predetermined. And so they were not interested in looking up at all to ask God for help, asking God to intervene. But now you got a father who's a Sadducee and probably was taught his whole life. You don't ask God for anything. God doesn't really care. But you got a father whose son is dying. And it's a desperate father. And you know this, and I know this. When we're in desperate places, we will push past all our intellect, all the things we think we know, how smart we are. But when we're desperate, especially when your child is in trouble, you'll do whatever it takes to get him or her help. And this father had heard rumors about this man named Jesus from Nazareth that was doing amazing things. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged, remember this is royalty, he begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now maybe there's a theory in this, another side, because maybe it wasn't the man that was so determined to see Jesus, but maybe this boy's mama looked at her son and looked at her husband and said, hey, you got to go find Jesus. I heard he's somewhere, and you got to go find him. You know, we may have one death. You don't go right now. We'll have two deaths. So get out of the house, get on the horse, and get going. But this man has this, this challenge, right, this conflict. His son's dying. And of course, he probably wants to go and see if Jesus can help. But what if he's on the road and his son dies and he's not there? Can you imagine the conflict in this man? And so by, by the time he gets to Jesus, I mean, he's in begging mode. Pause just for a minute. Maybe for you. The first time you ever said a prayer, the first time you ever cried out to God was in desperation. And maybe your prayer, and this is totally fine, was to whoever may concern up there. Like something was so tragic in your life where you were so at your wit's end, you said, if anybody's even listening... God, if you're even alive, it's pretty much what this father does because his desperation for his son drives him to it. Now, here's the beautiful part about Jesus. He points to the fact that God hears the prayers of people that don't believe. God hears the prayers of people that are not faithful. God listens to the prayers of those of us that don't have it all figured out. And if you were ever tempted, oh, come on, if you were ever tempted to think, I've done so much, God doesn't want to hear from me anymore, you have got to pay attention to what John writes to the story and life of Jesus. So this father comes and he begs Jesus to do something. And, and let me get through this before you make judgment on the next thing that Jesus says, because Jesus says, unless you people, 
And he's talking to this father. He's talking to this father's entourage and the crowd, because there's always a crowd around Jesus. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. Now that feels crass and diminishing. I'm not sure it is. I think Jesus is just making a true statement. As if to say, I've shown up and I'm making some outlandish, crazy, way out there claims about who I am. And to be honest, I wouldn't, really, I wouldn't expect you to believe him just based on what I say anyway. I know how this works. You need to see signs. You need to see proof. And I'm not going to ask you to believe without proof in your life. I want you to know that you know that you know who I am. The dad says, sir, come down before my child dies. I'm royalty. And I am placing myself under you, Jesus, because I have confidence in who you are. Now, this is fascinating. If you ask that gentleman, why do you have confidence to ask Jesus, to put yourself under him, to submit to who he is? Why do you have confidence? Why do you have any kind of faith? He would look at you and say, because of the rumors, because of the stories, because of what people have said. And there's pretty much two options in, in this story. Jesus, either you go with me and my son lives, or you don't go with me and my son dies. That's the two options. If you go with me, I think there's a great chance my son survives this, but if you don't, we're done. And Jesus probably smiled because he said, now there's a third option you have not thought of yet, and I'm about to tell you. And he says to this, he says, go. Hey, just go, Jesus replied. And this word go in the original language just means, hey, go on your way, but don't hurry. Go about your business. You don't need to rush. It is all taken care of. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's, that's going to be the third option. You gave me two options. One, I go with you, your son lives. I stay, your son dies. I'm just going to tell you the third option is go, Jesus replied, and your son will live. I don't even need to be there. I just need you to trust me in this moment. You said you believed in me because of rumors and stories and what you've heard. Now just let that be the faith that you stand on. Now the father has a choice. Do I put my trust in this or where I do not? Now here's the deal. This is why this story is so important. And here's why Jesus, think, I think, wanted us to know and John wanted us to know this story. This is where we live, isn't it? I mean, we live in this place. In fact, you could say this is a lifetime reduced to a day. Because we walk through our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower, you, know, you can just think through this as I talk to those of us that are Christians. We live our lives when we face tragedy going, Jesus, we need you to intervene. And sometimes we see immediate amazing things. But often, and more often than not, our prayers seem to go unanswered, or at least not answered the way we want them to go. And in those moments, there are people you know and I know that have incredible faith. Like, I just found out I have cancer, yet I'm going to trust God in the middle of this. I just lost my job, but I'm not giving up on Jesus, and I'm not blaming him for me losing my job. I'm going to trust he's going to navigate me through this. My husband cannot get his act together. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to trust Jesus to love in spite of. And my kid, I mean, I, I just wish my kid would come home. I don't know why my kid's so off the rails, and I don't know if it's my fault, who's... But I'm not giving up on the God that I follow. And in those moments, I'm telling you, people pay attention to our story. In fact, in those moments, 
Do you know who's paying attention to you? Do you know who's watching you? You don't, do you? But somebody is. In those moments when it seems so hard, it seems so difficult, do you know who's watching how you and I respond to the God we say we trust? We don't know. But people are earnestly watching because they're earnestly looking for hope. And you and I do not know the hours or the days or the months or the years that someone will come behind what God is doing through us and with us and they might go, you know what? I am going to believe too. Based on who Jesus is and what he did, based also on your testimony and my testimony. Here's what I think this story is really kind of about. Let's give them something to talk about. should play that Bonnie Raitt song today, shouldn't we? That'd be great. A little something to figure out. Love that song. But let's give them something to talk about that moves people in the way that Jesus asked us to live our lives. This is just absolutely incredible. Now, back to our story. It says, the man took Jesus at his word, which meant he believed, he trusted, and he departed. I mean, he got on his horse, and he went home. In the church world, we would simply call this the fact that he walked by faith and not by sight. Because he could not see it that his son had gotten better, gotten worse, died, lived. He just didn't know. He just he put his trust in Jesus. And was asked to do a ridiculous thing, which is our story. I trust Jesus, and then now Jesus asked me to do things like, I haven't seen it yet. I have no concrete proof of what's going to happen, but I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. So the man gets on his horse, and he starts to head for home, and I love how John tells the story. He says, while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. Well, of course they said that. They wouldn't come meet him halfway to say, everything's just the same. No, your son's alive. Well, that's good. Is he barely alive? No, he's living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, so somehow he found out he got better through them, They said to him yesterday at one in the afternoon, and the fever left him. At that moment, the hair on the back of his father's neck had to stand up. John, why was this such an intense moment? Again, John is an old man. I just love the picture. He's he's recalling this story. Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. Remember, this, this happened in a, a day. But for us, this is our story of a lifetime, isn't it? The father had faith and he wasn't able to see, but when he got home, he saw. It's why there's some things that happened to us in our 30s that by the time we get to our 40s and 50s, we can look back and we can say, God is in the middle of all that. There's some trials that we go through in our lives and they don't make sense and the world is broken and sin breaks us. And they don't all work out perfect in the moment. We lose people, and our heart breaks, and marriages don't always work the way we want them to work. But then we get a little later on in life, and we look back and went, oh, man, now I can see God was doing amazing things. In fact, God, I'm more confident in God than I am looking back than I ever was before. That's exactly this man's story. Just for him, it was a day. He had to have faith, not by sight, but walk in it. This is what John tells us. So he and his wife and the whole household believed. Well, of course they would believe. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. 
See, this is the picture of walking by faith. That's what this, this is the picture of this. And walking by faith is living every single day of your life and my life, if you're a Jesus follower, as if Jesus is who he claimed to be. This is that deal where every day I wake up, and no matter what my circumstances are, I'm saying, Jesus, you are who you claim to be, and I'm going to trust in that. And when you walk into places like this, and I'm going to just vent for just a second, when you walk into places like this, and people like me wear a mic, and they say, if you just pray hard enough, or you just have enough faith, God's going to do whatever you want him to do. We do not follow a God that does what we want him to do, do we? If that was the case, he would not be a very big God. We follow a God that loves us so much, he does what he has to do for you, the person next to you, and the entire world. So, so next time you say the most desperate prayer, and I hope you pray desperate prayers when you're desperate, and it doesn't feel like it's all going exactly the way you want it, because sometimes that's the way prayer works and asking works. Here's what I want you to remember, that when Jesus talked about God, he talked to him about as your heavenly father. And when you're just like, God, where are you and what are you doing and why is this happening this way? I want you to think, God is my heavenly father and he loves me way more than I love myself. In fact, he loves my kids way more than I love my kids, which doesn't seem possible, but I'm going to trust that. And so, God, if you're my heavenly father and things aren't going perfectly, I'm just going to trust that you have me in your hands. I'm going to ask, and I'm going to seek, and I'm going to knock, and I'm going to trust. But, God, I'm going to trust first that you're my heavenly father. It means, it means when you read the scripture... And it doesn't make sense to you sometimes because sometimes the scripture doesn't make sense to me either. And you're like, I'm so confused and I don't feel real good about it. I'm going to trust. And the filter of reading this scripture is going to be that, God, you're my heavenly father. And you're not condemning me and you're not casting me out. You're trying to draw me. And so, God, draw me in because you're my heavenly father and you love me so much. When you trust God as your heavenly father, it means you can really, truly believe that you're forgiven. For all the stuff of your past that you don't have to wake up every day and go through your teens and your 20s and your 30s and your failed marriages over and over again and say, God, one more time, just forgive me for my 20s. One more time, just forgive me for my 20s. Having trust in Jesus means you can really trust that he forgave you once and for all and your relationship with him is restored. God, I believe you're my heavenly father and you love me and you forgive me. You know what it means? It means if you're a follower of Jesus and you're serving and you're sacrificing and you're generous, it is not in vain. It means when you work with kids, when you give up your time, when you give money to the generosity initiatives that we do to try and reach people, it is not in vain. God is doing something in this world, and this is how the world changed. This is how Peter and James and John, they grabbed onto these ideas and that changed the world, and they introduced a unique brand of love to the world. No one had ever seen it. No one had ever experienced this. It was so brand new. It freaked people out. And it was all centered around this. Hey, Peter, James, John, John, write this down. As I have loved you, love. Yeah, but I don't see how this is going to work out. I know, trust me, as your heavenly father, it's going to work out. Well, am I supposed to forgive my sister? Yeah, I need you to forgive your sister, but it doesn't feel like that's fair. I know, yeah, I need you to trust me. I'm your perfect heavenly father. 
You, you mean I'm, I'm supposed to walk away from this lucrative thing and walk towards something? Yeah, I, I need you to trust me in this. It's a big deal. And what came out of this for these early followers and some of you was faith and confidence. I mean, confidence that they would lay down their life. And after Jesus died and he rose again, I mean, they were so inspired. But they had to see these signs. In fact, one time Philip, they were sitting with Jesus and Jesus was telling his, you know, crazy, wonderful, beautiful Jesus stuff which is hard to follow sometimes. And Philip, one of his followers, blurts out, Jesus, just show us the Father for Pete's sakes. Just like crank heaven open, pull back the curtain and show us the Father. It's a great question, isn't it? And again, probably with a smile, Jesus looked at him and said, hey, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father in heaven. All that you need to know about God is embodied in me. It was a bold statement. And it would have been hard to believe. And they you know, had to kind of hang on to that. But when Jesus rose from the dead, they put his hands on him. And they touched the holes in his feet and hands. They believed. That's why John wrote, because you have seen me, you have believed. Jesus said that. Of course, we saw you rise from the dead. But then he speaks directly to you guys. He speaks directly to me. He says, blessed Blessed are those who have not seen. I mean, for most of us in this room, unless you've had some really wild, great experience, which is good for you, most of us, we have never seen Jesus face to face. It's the the truth of our faith. And Jesus knew this, and John knew this. Who have not seen, yet still believe, have believed. Blessed are you, because you have been let in on an amazing, wonderful Thing. It's again why at the end of John's um, gospel, he writes this. He goes, but these are written that you may believe. That's what's the goal of this. Not information, not church attendance, but John wanted you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that, all, that by believing, you may have life in his name. So here's the challenge for all of us. This never goes away. I mean, you're sitting here and you're a follower of Jesus and you're in the middle of a hard thing right now, which I know some of you are. You have a choice to trust Jesus. I don't know what in the world you're doing or how in the world this is going to work out. But I have faith based on what I know, what I've read, what I've seen, what I've experienced. I'm going to trust you in it. You're in a tough marriage situation and you're thinking about doing something that's maybe off the tracks not good for your marriage. But Jesus, I know what you said about marriage, and I'm going to choose to trust and believe and hang on to what you said about my marriage. Maybe you're facing the same thing as this father whose son was dying, yet somebody in your life that you're afraid you might lose him or you have lost him. What do I do now? Jesus, I'm hanging on. And I got doubts. And your heavenly father would say, it's okay, bring your doubts, man. Bring your doubts. But trust me. I'll get you through this. I'll get your loved one through this. Trust me with it. The other side of the coin is is you're here and you haven't made a decision to trust Christ. And no one here is forcing you or trying to talk you into doing it today. I just want you to consider this. What if placing your trust in Christ is what changes your life and your eternity forever? Would you consider being like Dr. Collins 
a brilliant surgeon, a brilliant doctor, a brilliant scientist who was willing to investigate and find out and read. And if you were ever tempted, and this is such a big deal, when you hear a story like this to go, yeah, yeah, Matt, I'm telling you, if Jesus healed my son like that, I would believe too. That's a totally fair statement. But that's why I wish as we lead up to Easter, you would grab your Bible, pull out your phone, download the Version app, and just read through the Gospel of John slowly and carefully and see the stories. And some of it you're not going to understand, and some of it may not make sense. That's okay. Some of it doesn't make sense to me either. But investigate and let God kind of invade your heart through that. Because we have an opportunity to follow the risen Savior. Francis Collins said when it comes to all this, and I think this is so appropriate. He said, it's not enough to read the notes, because that's what we, some of us grew up doing. We just read the notes. We got the information on the page. At some point, you have to hear the music. Let me just shift one more gear before we wrap up. I'm almost done. This is where we can read. This is the place where I can hopefully speak and share convincingly. You can have conversations, but this is also the place where you have the opportunity to go, God, whatever place I'm in in my faith journey, I just need you to work on my heart. I just need you to speak to my soul. And as I investigate and I go fact digging, because you should, I just need you to speak to me from the inside out. And I can't quite explain the mystery of how God does that, but he does an amazing work in our soul. And it's a place where we open them up and say, God, I just want you to speak to the innermost part of who I am because I need you. And what I want for you, I want for me, I'm going to talk to my sons and my daughters today on the phone. I want them to experience that. I want you to experience that, a faith that's rock solid a faith we can stand on, a faith we can run to when people are hurting or we're hurting and we can be reliable, and a faith that leads us someday to eternal life with Jesus in heaven. It is a powerful, powerful thing. And I'm so grateful John brought us these stories and documentations of Jesus' life. But you got to investigate. you got to dig in. you got to ask some questions and see where it leads you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so very grateful that we get to walk through the story in the life of Jesus, seen through the eyes of John. And Lord, I pray that this would be a place that we could ask our questions and we could investigate. And we don't just have to take it by faith or just believe even though we struggle with it. So God, help us to do those things. I pray that everybody in this room would consider reading the Gospel of John between now and Easter. But God, we also ask you to do that other thing that only you can do. And that's to stir our hearts and draw us close to you and remind us that you are a perfect, good, heavenly father that absolutely loves us, even in our hardest times. And solidify faith in our lives. So the people that are here that have been followers for a long time, the people that aren't followers at all. Jesus, I also pray for everybody in this room that's in the middle of a season of their life that's just really hard really difficult. I pray that today they would walk out with hope and peace that they can look up towards a God that is absolutely in love with them and can help walk them through this. And that someday we'd look back at these days and see that you were all over it and in the middle of it. Thanks for your immense love and thank you for letting us love each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.